Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up Mark chapter 12. We're going to be covering just three verses today in Mark chapter 12 and uh, verses 35, 36, 37. So you'd think, oh, we got plenty of time. We don't. We got so much to cover in just even just three verses. If you've been with us the last few weeks, Jesus has been approached by three different groups who are asking questions of him in the temple grounds before Jesus. It's the week before he's going to the cross. So a few, just a few days from the passages that we're reading, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross. And so a few weeks ago, we had the Pharisees ask a question of Jesus about uh, giving taxes to Caesar. And then after that, we studied where the Sadducees, a second group in the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was the Jewish high council. So these are the ones that are going to be hanging Jesus on the cross All these different factions in the Sanhedrin are trying to get Jesus to slip up so that they would have a reason to to kill him. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. So the Pharisees asked a question about taxes. Jesus answered perfectly. The Sadducees asked Jesus a question about resurrection and marriage in heaven. Jesus answered perfectly. And then the, then the scribe, last week a scribe asks Jesus, the only, he's the only one that actually was a legitimate question. He asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? in all the commandments, and Jesus answered that famous question. And so after that, last week, I don't know if you noticed, but we ended last week, verse 33 said, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So they were like, all right, well, this isn't gonna work. Like, we can't trip him up. So no, like, he's just brilliant, and they stopped asking him questions. And then I love this. In today's text, Jesus has a question for them. I, lo- I just love, I don't know if you p- paid attention to this, but I love how Mark, the author of this gospel, how Mark just lays this out for us. He's, he's, he's giving us the, the Pharisees question, the Sadducees question, the question from the scribe, and then no more questions, and now Jesus is like, all right, I got a question for you. And before we get to his question, before we get to what Jesus is going to ask them, I want to ask us a question Most weeks we've been sort of framing our message in a question, and here's our question for today. Do you have Jesus right? There are so many versions of Jesus. There are so many ideas of Jesus out there. And so the question is, do you have Jesus right? This is the most important question we could ever ask because what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us because what we believe about Jesus affects our eternity. I'll come back to that at the end. If that's news for you, if you're here today and you haven't heard that statement before, I'm going to say it again. What you believe about Jesus is the one thing that impacts your eternity. So you better get Jesus right. If you have the wrong Jesus, then you can't be saved. If we have the right Jesus, we can put our faith in that Jesus and we can be saved. The Bible says that salvation comes only by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And then the Bible says that if we trust in him for salvation, if we believe in him, not if we work for it, not if we're a good person, not if we go to church or even serve it at a Harvest Party. Thank you for all of you who served at Harvest Party. None of that stuff has any bearing on your eternal destination. Your eternity is completely dependent on your answer to this question. Have you placed your faith in the Jesus of the Bible? So you better have the Jesus of the Bible right today. I'm going to talk about the Jesus of the Bible. It's the most important question we can answer. So Jesus' Jesus's question has to do with his identity. We'll get to that. A little cliffhanger here. We'll get to that. But before we get to that, I want to read from the Old Testament something that is 
super interesting at this time because it's the, it's the most often quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. There's a chapter of the Old Testament that's quoted then more, more often than any other chapter in the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 110. It's Psalm 110. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there real quick, we'll come back to Mark 12 in a second. But I want to start by reading Psalm 110 because this is the psalm that Jesus is going to quote today in our passage. Okay, so let's see, the, let's see what he says. Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, and I want you to pay attention to the capitalization here. We're going to get back to this in a second. But notice that the Lord is all caps, and then the second Lord is lower caps. We'll come back to why that is. But David writes this, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Literally, when kings in the Old Testament, when kings defeated another enemy, another army, they would literally step on the necks of the people that they had defeated, and that's what's being referenced here. I'm gonna step, step on the necks of my enemies. That's what's going on here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And then he goes on and he says this, and I just kind of took some highlights from Psalm 110 for you today. Verses two and three and five, but it's only seven verses, so you could read the whole thing pretty easily. It says, the Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. Okay, so look, I want to make sure, just want to give you context here. This is David writing this, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, all of this stuff someday is going to happen. The Lord is going to extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. The Lord stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings when his anger erupts. Do you see the language here? Do you see why this is timely right now, what's going on in Israel? I'm sure that there are places in Israel where they're talking a lot about Psalm 110. Psalm 110, actually, Psalm 110 was, a, was originally a coronation psalm. Anytime, so David was the second king of Israel, the first king of Israel was Saul. Saul was displaced by David, if you remember that story. So Israel, Israel becomes a nation. Saul is the first king. David is the second king. His son Solomon is the third king. And after that, the kingdom split into two. It split into the north, the kingdom of Israel in the north, and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And the, northern, the southern kingdom always had someone from the line of David on the throne. Okay, so the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, and the southern kingdom is the one that kept the dynasty of David, the people of David, the, the line of David. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, all the way on down through all of the sons the northern king, every time a king was installed, every time there was a, a coronation ceremony for a new king in Israel during the days of the nation of Israel, they would go to Psalm 110 and they would read these, this psalm as a coronation psalm. Like this, that's what this meant to them. This was such a big deal. Psalm, psalm 110 was a big deal for the people of Israel as new kings were being installed on the throne. New kings were being installed on the throne. And then in 722 BC, the northern kingdom fell to Assyria. And then in 586 BC, the southern, king fell, southern kingdom fell to the nation of Babylon. And hear this, the nation of Israel was no longer, 
Now, the people of Israel always existed. They hung, hung on by a thread. But the nation of Israel, the state, let's say it like this, the state of Israel was no longer. 586 BC, the state of Israel was done. Persians, Romans, Ottomans, like all these empires for thousands of years, the, the coronation, this coronation psalm could not be sung for thousands of years, Psalm 110, because the nation was no long, longer. They didn't have a kingdom anymore until 1948. Do you know that? Until 1948 when the state of Israel finally got a kingdom again. Seriously, it was that long, from 586 B.C., until 1948. In the days of Jesus, Israel was under Roman rule. In Jerusalem, Israel had no, they had no king. They had no, they had no state. Israel, Israel was a people without a state. And that's kind of some context for what's been going on these last few weeks, really. In our lifetime, this is what's been going on. All of this dates all the way back to the Old Testament, even to Psalm 110. So here's what happened. Once the, once the nation of the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon in 586, after that, they couldn't sing Psalm 110 anymore. So you know what Psalm 110 became? A messianic psalm. Now it became a song about the Messiah. Not a song about the king, but a song about the Messiah that someday someone's gonna come. Someone's gonna come and restore the nation of Israel to its glory in the days of David. That's what Psalm 110 was. And that's why Psalm 110 is the most often quoted chapter of the Old Testament in the New Testament because it meant that much. Like they were, the people of God were always looking for a Messiah. So that's the background for what we're gonna read in Mark chapter 12. Now you have some background for Mark chapter 12. Just three verses today. Let's take a look. It says later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? Now let's pause for a second because this is something that the, the scribes got right. Remember who the scribes were? We saw the question from the scribe last week. The scribes were like the lawyers. The scribes were the experts of religious law. The scribes were the ones who really understood the Old Testament. That's who the scribes were. And so Jesus is saying, why do the, why do the scribes claim that the Messiah is the son of David. Now, son of David is a messianic title. Son of David is a, is a title, we've only seen it a couple of times in the, book, in the Gospel of Mark because Mark wasn't actually written to the Jewish people. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew's the Gospel that was written specifically for a Jewish audience. The, if you read the book of the, the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see the phrase son of David pop up all over the place in the Gospel of Matthew. Because son of David was something that, that the Israelites used to refer to the Messiah. That was another nickname for the Messiah, son of David. Because he was supposed to come from the line of David. This Messiah figure from Psalm 110 was supposed to come from David's line. He was going to be a descendant of David. By the way, did you know that Jesus is a descendant of David? That's why Matthew opens, in Matthew chapter 1, it opens with the genealogy of Jesus because, because for the Jewish reader, for someone who's reading, waiting for the long-awaited Messiah, and he's reading the good news about, about Jesus, the very first thing that Matthew wants to do for his Jewish readers is to establish that Jesus is from the line of David, that Jesus is the son of David, because son of David is a messianic title. 
And so Jesus asks the people, why do the scribes claim that the Messiah is the son of David? It's, it's a little bit of a rhetorical question, I guess. Like, it's a question that nobody would even have thought about. They're like, well, we just know. We've always known this. It's all over the Old Testament. It's right there in Psalm 110. It's everywhere. It's plain to see. So see, they got this right. The, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders got it right that the Messiah would be from the line of David. They got that right. So many people get parts of Jesus' identity right. So many people get a little bit right, but miss the more important stuff. So the scribes got this right that Jesus, or that the Messiah would be the son of David, but here's what they got wrong. Verse 36, Jesus still speaking. He says, for David himself speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So isn't that interesting that, that Jesus right here is saying that when David said these words in Psalm 110, and Jesus is gonna quote Psalm 110 verse one, that when Jesus spoke these words, that he was, or when David spoke these words, he was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know that we believe that God's word, the reason we can trust God's word is because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. When David said those words in Psalm 110, David partly knew what he was saying and he partly didn't know what he was saying. He was, it was, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak those words that Jesus is now echoing in the temple, standing in the temple in Mark chapter 12. So David himself, Jesus says, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said the Lord, said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. So he quotes Psalm 110, verse one. That's the only thing he quotes. He doesn't quote the rest of it. See, here's what the, here's what the scribes got wrong. They, when they read Psalm 110, and we can all tend to do this a little bit, is, is they, they really focused on and emphasized the stuff that they liked. They liked all the, the war stuff. They liked the the ruling over your enemies and people will serve you and, and your enemies' necks are gonna be, like they loved that stuff. You're gonna strike down many kings. God's gonna protect you. They love that stuff. We all tend to love the stuff that kind of lines up with our picture of reality or our hope for reality. They loved that stuff and they got that stuff right, but what they missed was verse one. And verse one was the context for the whole thing. Jesus goes on to explain that, verse 37. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Now, I want to I pause for a second here, because that's it. These are the only three verses we're studying today. And some of you might kind of read through this, and it might feel a little bit like math class. You're like, I don't really understand what's going on right now. And I'm going to just tune out and hope it doesn't show up on the test. But I want you to follow Jesus' logic here. And some of it is we're going to have to understand some language. We're going to have to understand some of the original Hebrew in order to understand what Jesus is saying. But just follow, let's just try to follow what Jesus is saying. How could, how, here's what Jesus is saying. How could the Messiah be the son of David, right, and still be the Lord of David? That's what Jesus is saying. How can the Messiah be the son of David, but David calls him his Lord? 
Now, remember, for generations, the Jewish people would have read Psalm 110. It was so important. It was very important to them. They would have read it, and they would have, read, they would have missed this for generations. They would have read right over it for generations and never really even stopped to think about that question. How could, how could this be that David calls the Messiah who's supposed to be in his line, somewhere down his line, hundreds or thousands of years down the line, how could David, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, call the Messiah, his descendant, how could he call him his Lord? That doesn't make sense. This is what Jesus is saying. So let's go back to verse 36, which is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. I told you to pay attention to the caps. L-O-R-D in all caps is the word. If you look at the word in, in Psalm 110, the word in Hebrew, in the original Hebrew language, the word is the word Yahweh. Many of us have heard the word Yahweh before. Whenever you see in your Bibles, whenever you see Lord in all caps, it's the word Yahweh. That's what the translators have done for us to help us out. All caps Lord is the word Yahweh, which is one of the names of God. Remember the story in Exodus 3 where, where Moses comes to, to this burning bush? He's like, that's weird. This bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And it was God speaking to him from the bush, if you remember that story. And God said from the bush, I want you to go in to Egypt. I want you to deliver my people from Egypt to the promised land. So that was kind of the whole beginning of the promised land idea. And, and Moses is like, well, what should I tell the people when I go there? Like, they're not going to... They're going to just follow me? And he says, no, I want you to tell them that the I am has sent them. And Moses is like, what's your name? L-O-R-D. I am. Yahweh. That's who I am. I am who I am. It's kind of like, a, I love it. I love that that's God's name, the name that he gives himself, because what he's saying is, I, it's not that I was or I will be, I just am like, he's the eternally existent one. He doesn't need anyone else for existence. He is above us and beyond us. He's the creator of the universe. So he's just like, there's no other way for me to explain this in your language but just to say, I am, all caps, I am. And it gets translated. The word is Yahweh. It gets translated, L-O-R-D, caps. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, David, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Yahweh said to my Lord, Lord with lower cap, O-R-D, and that's the word Adonai. So all caps is Yahweh, not all caps is Adonai, and Adonai, Adonai is a more general sense for Lord, the word Lord. But what Jesus is saying here is that Yahweh said to the Lord, Sit at my right feet, my, sit, sit in a place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to hear this, what Jesus is saying is the Lord, the Messiah, is God. He's not just a descendant of David. The Messiah is God. He's not just a descendant of David. This is what Jesus is claiming here. Jesus is claiming that he is God. Now this is not very helpful for his cause when it comes to like getting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes on his side because they already, they already didn't appreciate his teaching and they already did not believe who he said he was but Jesus is now coming out 
and he's pulling the curtain back. Have you noticed that all throughout the book of Mark, just slowly the curtain's been pulled back on the identity of Jesus. And over time, Jesus kept, he would heal someone and say, don't tell anyone. And he'd heal somebody else and say, don't tell anybody. He was keeping it a secret until this week. This week he comes in. Remember at the beginning of this week, we studied this about four or five weeks ago. He's coming in to this great procession and they're calling out and they're praising him and they're worshiping him and he's not hiding. He is coming in and he is like, I am God. And this is kind of like the pinnacle of him declaring this. He's essentially saying to them, I am not just David's descendant, I am David's Lord. Jesus is claiming to be God right here. Now, it's not the only place. John chapter 8, at the very end of John chapter 8, he's talking to them, and he's, he, said, he said, I am. Long before Abraham was, long before Moses was born, Jesus said in John 8, 58, I am. All caps. He's, he's claiming to be God, long before Abraham, long before Moses was born, I am, Jesus in John 8, 58, claimed to be God. And they took stones, they picked up stones to stone him. Now, if Jesus didn't mean to claim that he was God, then he would have said, whoa, hold on, I, you, you heard all caps, I am. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I meant lower caps, I am. But that's not what he said. He, knew, he meant to claim that, and he didn't stop him. Now, they didn't stone him and they didn't kill him that day. He, he slipped away from the crowd. But Jesus claimed to be God there and he's claiming to be God here. I love these verses that help us understand this. Isaiah 11.1, 1, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. So that's a prophecy from Isaiah 11, a prophecy about the Messiah. Remember, they've been, by the, by the prophets' times, the times of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the other prophets, the people were exiled, the people, that was after 586, so like they had no land, they had no king, and so all they had was this hope that someday a Messiah is going to come and make Israel great again, and the prophet Isaiah said, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, son of David, son of David, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. But I love to pair Isaiah 11.1 1 with Revelation 22.16, the last chapter of the Bible. I love this. Maybe you've never noticed this before. This goes hand in hand with the Mark 12 verse that we're studying today. Jesus himself is speaking in Revelation 22.16. He says this, I am both the root of David and the heir to his throne. I am both the root of David What's the root of David? Wait, the root of David? That means Jesus is saying, I, I came before David, but I'm also the heir to his throne. And so we, here we have this great, this great paradox. It's so hard to wrap our mind around that this is what Jesus is trying to say as he's taking Psalm 110 and he's giving it new meaning for the scribes that day, for all the people listening that day. He's saying, you've always read this verse wrong. You've always read this verse wrong. This isn't just talking about someday a descendant of David would come and rescue Israel and the world. It's actually saying that that descendant of David is greater than David. He's David's God. 
And that descendant is me. Jesus is saying he's both the root of David and the heir to his throne. Jesus is God. The Messiah would not just be a human being. The Messiah would be God himself. And so we come today to the identity of Jesus. And we don't have time to get into this in great detail today, but I'm just going to give you enough to confuse you today. <laughs> if you want to learn more about this, it's topic four in our Sistio series at PursueGod.org. You can scan that QR code if you want to go to it. But we actually literally, as, as, God's, as God would have it, he organized this, and this was not my plan. We're doing a Sistio class right now, right in this room on Monday nights, and we literally covered topic four on Monday night. And so for those of you who are in the class, you, you know exactly what we're talking about today. And the, the topic for topic four in Sistio is who is Jesus? And here's one of the things that we, here's a great way to summarize this. It's, it's known as the hypostatic union. If you want to impress your friends at work tomorrow, learn how to say that, the hypostatic. Everybody together, hypostatic union. Doesn't that just make you feel so smart? You guys are learning about capitalization and then you're learning crazy words like this. And here's, here's the idea, and this is, it's so important that, you under, that we understand this if we want to get Jesus right. And this is what Jesus is talking about in, in Mark 12. It's what Jesus is talking about in John 8, 58. It's what those verses in Isaiah 11 and Revelation 22 and so many more verses we didn't have time to get into today. But it's about the nature of Jesus, and here it is. Jesus is a single person with two natures. And we debated this for 90 minutes on Monday night with our team, with our, with our class. But let me just summarize it for you. Here are his two natures. The divine nature that he shares equally and eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the human nature that he took on in his incarnation. These two natures are united in person without confusion, change, or loss. Jesus is not part God and part human but both are fully integrated in him. Here's a good mathematical way to explain it. A demigod, like the Roman, Greco-Roman idea of a demigod, is someone who is 50% human and 50% God. Jesus is not a demigod. Jesus isn't 50-50. He's not 50% human and 50% God. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. And this is what Jesus is saying here to the people. He said, you've, got, you've been reading Psalm 110 your whole life, but you never really understood that the Messiah, that Jesus, would not just be human, but the Messiah would also be divine. Here's what we have to understand. This is, this is what the Bible teaches everywhere. It's so hard to understand it. It really is. It's so hard to understand it. But it helps us to answer this question, do you have Jesus right? If you believe that Jesus is fully God, and there was a moment in time where he took humanity, he took, it's called the incarnation, he took on humanity, and he became fully God and fully man at the same time, the Bible says that that's the Messiah who went to the cross and died for us. Why does it matter? Because our sin is God-sized, and we needed a God-sized solution to our sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, that death was able to pay for our sin. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was sinless. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he went to the cross and died on the cross, he was able to die in our place. 
You know, I could say, hey, I'll go to the cross and die for you. The problem is I have to die for my own sins. So it took God to die on the cross for our sins, and this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is what Jesus is gonna do at the end of this week in this, in this passage that we're reading. At the end of this week, Jesus is gonna be hanging on the cross, and he's gonna give up his life for all of us. And if you're here today and you would say, you know, I don't know that I've ever really believed in that Jesus before, I want you to hear today that that's the only Jesus that can save. The Jesus who's fully God, and fully man. And the Bible says that when we respond to that Jesus, when we come to that Jesus and we say, I believe that you went to the cross and died for my sins, the Bible says this incredible exchange happens. That we exchange our sinfulness with his righteousness. And the Bible says that God the Father looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ and he says, now you're forgiven and you're saved and you're free. And this is a promise that God gives to all of us. This is what the Messiah, this is who the Messiah is. This is what the Messiah is all about. It turns out that Psalm 110 was not about an earthly kingdom. That was not about an earthly kingdom. That's about a heavenly kingdom. And we all get to be a part of it if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want to just give you an opportunity, even right now at the end of, our, of this message, I want to give you an opportunity to personally make a commitment to the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is fully God and fully man. Would you bow and pray with me today? And if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I, I think maybe I've had Jesus wrong. I think maybe I haven't had the right Jesus all along. And today you want to say, I want to turn to that Jesus in faith. Then I want to just invite you, even just as everyone's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed, I want to invite you to just pray a simple prayer of confession, a simple prayer of faith to that Jesus. Just in your own heart, pray something like this. Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm broken. And I acknowledge that, Jesus, you are both the source and the heir of David. That you are fully God and fully man, and that you died on the cross for my sins. And today I receive that sacrifice, and I receive your righteousness by faith. Thank you for this free gift, and help me to walk in the life that you came to bring me. In Jesus' name, amen.